and you are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Breaking the Fourth Wall in an interview with Style. Today, I have a very special guest with me. He's been in all kinds of different things, but I'm not going to take that away from him. He can tell you himself. Today, I have Mr. Larry Hankin. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, pretty good so far. It is pouring pretty good. Good. Nice, clear day out there in California? Um, actually, yeah. It's uh, getting kind of warm. Uh, it must be about, I don't know, 78 or something outside. Perfect. Yeah, sunny. Yeah, that's a, that sounds beautiful. I'm I'm in New York. It's a little cold over here today, so <laughs> that sounds amazing to be out there where the sun's shining. Well, you never know now with this uh, global warming stuff. You know, I I feel lucky to be here. So far, we haven't been hit with anything untoward. Perfect. So, yeah, that's, that's just great. So uh, let's get this thing rolling here. Um, you know, I know who you are, and I'm sure. Almost all of your fans out there know who you are, but just in case there's anybody listening that doesn't know who you are, can you tell us a couple of the right. things that you've been in? Uh, well, I'm kind of known for Mr. Heckles on Friends, uh, on Friends and Tom Pepper on uh, Seinfeld and Carl and... Uh, Billy Madison, and yep. then recently uh, Breaking Bad, uh, uh, Ojo, the uh, junkyard guy out in the desert, right, the right, Magnet and the Winnebago, and uh, lately uh, on Barry, I was a Stovka, the uh, the assassin from Czechoslovakia on episode three. So, and now uh, with El Camino, I'm in that. Uh, they just showed, uh, actually, my commercial. It was really neat. I was in the, the commercial. Did you see Saturday Night Live last night? I did not watch it last night, no. No, I don't watch it either, but somebody told me and they sent me a link. Yeah, they had a commercial on Saturday Night Live, and it was it was my, my role. Oh, uh, wow. As uh, old Joe, or uh, <laughs> old Joe. Go Joe, go Joe, they now call it. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's coming out, I guess, in a couple of days, the 11th, I guess. And then I got a book coming out. Oh, a book. What's that? knows about because it's just coming out. It's called The Loopholes Dossier. It's okay. uh, actually a satire. It's my writing. of uh, There's a political satire. There's a satire about a homeless, uh, an oral history of a homeless character that I invented that uh, uh, Barnum Justice, and then there's uh, eight uh, really cool, funny fables about a uh, character named sometimes Jones, which I invented. So that's coming. That's uh, in pre-sale, so okay. you can order it on Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble or eBooks or hardcover or any place that sells books. It's open all over the world. It's going to be out for shipping in about ten days. But oh you wow! Can order it that, now. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's quick. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that sounds yeah. amazing. I might have to check that out. Uh, you bet. Please <laughs> do, and all all the, all those people listening too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Loop, Everybody loop needs to. 
Yeah, the loopholes dossier. Loopholes dossier. Okay, we'll have to. We'll make sure to put a link. You know, a link to Amazon maybe, or just kind of uh, spell it out for everybody in the description um, when we get everything posted up. That way, they can just cool. You know, kind of click it and go to it. So, um, yep. you know, you've been in a ton of stuff. I mean, and you've, yeah. you've run just about every role there is to do. So. <laughs> yeah, my question for you would be: um, Do you have any like iconically kind of funny things uh, from from this from filming that that really stands out in your mind? Some funny story that kind of oh yeah. Well, I mean, each one of those uh, parts, each one of those roles, when I was filming it, you know, something always happens. That's either weird or funny or unique or so you know. I have a story about each one of them. I mean, you just you know pick pick one, and I'll see if I I have something. You know, just just pick a pick a part that I did, and boom, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? You know, something you're curious about? I mean, quite quite honestly, my favorite. Uh, role of yours was Crazy Carl from Billy Madison. I absolutely loved right. your character in that. I thought you did such a great job uh, trying to be that that straight edge suit, but you had that you know kind of funny right. wild side. Uh, well, okay. The, the story there is that I was <clears throat> I was a hippie at that time, so my hair was kind of down to my shoulders, and my friend. Uh, was directing uh, that. And so I, I said, hey, you know, you're my buddy. Why get me in the movie? And he said, well, there's no parts for somebody like you, you know, a hippie. <laughs> so if you want to be in it, you're going to have to get a haircut. And I went, oh, no, I don't want to get a haircut. So, well, there's only one part, Carl. But, you know, he has, you know, really short hair. And so if you want to be in a movie, you can do Carl, but you have to get a haircut. And I fought, and I fought with my with my friend. And uh, finally I decided, okay, because it's uh, Adam Sandler, that was enough to go, okay, I'll cut my hair. He's an important figure in co- the comedy world. Mm-hmm. I'd like to meet him. So I, 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 signed, I cut my hair, and I was on it. But it was really... Um, it wasn't. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. First of all, I although I respect Adam because he really does what he does extremely well, and he knows exactly where his fans are. He just gives them what he has for them. But it's not my humor. You know, it's kind of over the top. It's broad. It's you know poop humor and insult right, right. and put on and stuff. And I, I don't do that, but. Again, I respected Adam himself, so I want to meet him. So I cut my hair and I got on the set, and then in the first uh, two weeks they fired my friend, so now uh, who was directing. So now I was at the mercy, <laughs> no, no friend on, on the set, um, and I was just the butt of a lot of uh, of Adam's off-camera shenanigans, which. I'm not into. I don't. I'm not into put on humor or taunting or anything like that. Or I got you. So it, it, it started to bug me after a while. So uh, anyway, I mean, he would call me up at four in the morning. He would have girls, his his fans, his girl fans, 
called me up at four. You know, I had like a six o'clock call. And they would go, oh, can I come up and visit you? I love you so much. <laughs> then I would hear him giggling in the background. Uh, you know, tell Adam, you know, i got to get up at six. But, oh, you know, my goodness. getting on my nerves. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there was that kind of stuff. And then one day, I guess he saw that I was kind of, you know, bugged with him. So we were having uh, lunch, all of us, in uh, like a, a semi-heavy restaurant uh, near the set and on the set. Whatever, and we were just a whole bunch of tables, and I was at a table near him, and so Adam called me over, and somebody, I guess, had said something about something I had worked on, a little funny, ridiculous bit in college. Maybe they told him, because I don't know how he knew about it, but he called me over, and said, oh, gee, maybe he wants to apologize, and he sits down, and he says, uh, tell me a little about yourself. Um what's this mouse thing, you know, that you do? And I go, what? And this was this thing I did in college. And, you know, this ridiculous kind of face. And he said, I said, let me see it. And I go, I don't want to do that. That's like from college. It's like silly. No, nah, come on. And he kept on. No, come on, come on, come on. So finally, just shut him up. I made this face, you know, this little <laughs> mousy face. Okay. And he goes, hey, that's pretty funny. And I go, yeah, thanks. Can I go back to my table now? Because I just, you know, that was going to be it. That's why he called me over. Right. So yeah, I yeah. Over to my table. I left it. Okay, so the next day, we're in the scene where he's introducing me to his girlfriend uh, in, in the, I guess, some sort of uh, uh, cottage in the back of his house in the movie, the, the character in the movie's house. Uh-huh. And he's introducing me to the girlfriend, and he said, hey, in the middle of a shot, I mean, while the camera's rolling, you say, hey, Carl, do that mouse thing you do. Oh, and that's geez. when I was right in the middle of a scene. And for, for some reason, I didn't have the temerity or the savvy to just say no and walk out of the scene, which I've done since then, taught to me by a very famous actor who did the same thing. I asked that famous actor when he was in the middle of a scene, he just stopped talking and walked out of the scene. Just walked off camera. Holy cow. And, and, and nobody said anything. And then he came back and we did the scene again and he stayed in. So after the scene was over, I asked this famous actor, I said, okay, now explain to me what, what happened there. You were in the middle of a scene. You just walked out of camera frame, just walked into the background there. And why did you do that? And why didn't anybody say anything? So he said, well, I'm famous, so that's why they didn't say anything. But the reason that I did it is for a very important reason. I didn't feel like I was in the part. I didn't feel like I was giving my best performance. I think maybe I even dropped a line and they kept me going. They didn't say stop. So I had to stop the film myself because he said, if they get it on film, it will be in the movie. You can bet on it. So oh. to prevent a bad performance that you are deeming, man, I'm not into this at all. This is my child. you got to walk out of frame, off camera, so they don't capture it. So they have to shoot it again. And I always remember that. And I did it the next time I did it, a couple of, uh, you know, parts later. I did it, you know, and everybody went bonkers. Hey, what did you do that for? What did you do? I didn't like what I was doing. 
yeah, well, you know, we're not paying you to blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, I wasn't famous, you know. Yeah. So they, they came down on me. So I saw the ramifications, but I thought, but it worked. I, right, I walked yeah. out, they didn't have it, and I, and so every once in a while, I mean, you got to have a lot of, have a lot of balls to do that, man. They get really angry <laughs> if you're not a star. But I, I did it, you know, once or twice in my career, and uh, after a while, nobody said anything. I mean, I didn't do it a lot. I maybe I did it three times in my entire career. Oh, that's funny. and and it was really for a good reason. I, I I thought I didn't just spend that kind of I don't know favors. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't spend it, you know, bad, badly. I, I respected the process. And what they were doing, you know, trying to get a film done in budget, and you're wasting time when you do that. But I thought it was important. So I was protecting character. I was protecting me. Uh, So in that thing, he said, uh, Adam Sandler said, in the scene, he said, do that funny mouse thing you do for my girlfriend. And in that one second, that, that thing flashed by me, walk out of the scene right now. You don't do it on... But I respected Adam so much, even though I don't like his humor, I did it. Just instinctively, because I'm an improvisational actor. I mean, that's where I grew up. Second City, the committee. It was just something somebody threw at you, you just do it. Right. So I did it. I've regretted it all my life. And everybody who loves that movie keeps on asking me, hey, do that mouse thing. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> So, so I, the, this famous actor was right on, man. If you do it, it's going to be in the scene. It's going to be in the movie. You can bet on it. And wow. uh, that's, the only, that's the only little tiny thing I've ever regretted doing on camera, other than that. But it was a small thing. But but that's one of the things. Of, you know, Adam Sandler's... Adam, now, here's the other thing. I did Escape from Alcatraz, and... Uh, Don Siegel, who directed that, is an incredible, great actor. He's a famous actor. He's an old actor. He's directed some of the great black and white uh, movies uh, of our time. Right. Uh, he's directed Robert Mitchum and just just great stars that I look up to. And um, he would put me on all the time. But the way he put me on, because I'm very naive, when I go on a set, I just want to learn anything I can. To this day, and I've been in the movie business all my life, I still, generally, if it's a, if it's a great director or some director or a great actor that's in the movie, I will not go to my dressing room. I'll stay there. Uh, and the entire shoot, uh, El Camino, I never went to my... Uh, dress room once. I just stayed on the set all the time. So much so that the director gave me my own uh, uh, viewing screen. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was very cool. Hey, somebody get Larry a a viewing screen, you know, just so he can watch without sneaking around. (laughs) That was pretty cool. But but he got the idea that I'm really interested. I'm I'm a, a filmmaker you know, oh, file. Okay. So uh, I didn't, you know, uh, so when when Adam was doing it, I got very touchy and, and, and angry at him. I didn't look special to him. Yeah. But when, when Don Siegel did it, uh, man, it, I, he did it with love. I knew it. He was just like my, my, my grandfather. You know, he just, 
You know, hey, what are you doing? Because I, I would ask him questions. I'm like, why are you doing this? How come you did that? What's this for? Uh, you know, and he would, you know, generally would say, he'd either give me a right answer or he'd go, I don't know, Larry, I think I'm going to get fired for this one. But, uh, and other times, I would, he would be very serious and he'd say, well, I'm, like, for instance, I, I didn't have that many scenes. I had a, quite a few scenes in Escape from Alcatraz. But I was there to protect my character, but to protect me, I didn't want to get cut. I know a lot of scenes sometimes you do in a movie, you give it your all, and it's not even in the movie. Right, uh, yeah. It's happened quite a bit. So all, all actors, you know, they, they got, they're cutting for time, for pace, for, you know. So Don uh, uh, came up to me one day, and he was very kind to me. He, he, I was very naive, and he tried to fill me in. You know, he never just gave me an order. He'd say, well, you know, do this because I'm going to need that. Mm-hmm. So he came up to me and he said, okay, in this particular scene, uh, cut that line. Uh, and I, the, the line that I had that he wanted to cut, I knew was a plot line. Now, the importance of plot lines to an actor is that if you have a plot line, your scene can't be cut. It's part of the plot. If you cut that, they, you know, right. part of the plot's missing. You, you, so, yeah, yeah, it leaves a big hole when he people go, what? Thought, what? Yeah. Yeah, so I knew, wait a minute, if he's cutting this line, that means my scene can be cut if he, if he takes that line out. Uh-huh. And so I got kind of disturbed, you know, by it, and he kind of saw that. I, I, he, I said, why? why? Why are you cutting this line? That's an important line. It's a plot line. And he said, yeah, well, you'll say it in the next scene. And I go, oh, wow. It never occurred to me. He's not cutting this line. He may be cutting the scene, or he may want it for a whole other reason. But it was the first time that I really understood why that is, uh, you can bend the laws of cinema in that you don't have to have everything in the same order. You can put the beginning in the middle, and you can put the end at the beginning, and the you can switch it around as long as it's, it makes sense. And there's many, many ways in film and in editing uh, and in writing even where you can mix up the laws and still have it make sense and follow it. So I was kind of, when he, when he said, yeah, I can uh, put it in another scene, I was kind of calmed down. But he, okay. he would put me on all, all the time, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you know, kind of moving on a little bit uh, to another question I have for you. Um, you started acting back in the 60s, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I bet I bet it's wow. completely different now than it was back then, oh, wasn't it? I, I, I tell, you know, uh, young actors, wannabe actors, uh, that if I had to start now, I, I'd be lost. Uh, you know, I, I was just either in the right place at the right time or I just said the right thing for no reason and it got me into a place. But I never tried to... Every time I tried to do something, you know, like get somewhere or audition for something I knew would change my life, or that, that never happened. The only way I advanced was I happened to be somewhere 
and it worked out. You know, like, hey, you, come here, we need another guy. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it, there's no, there's a randomness to it that's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I couldn't do it again, and I, and if you wanted to be an actor and I told you how to, how I did it, 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 it wouldn't help you at all. Uh, like, for instance, I mean, I graduated as an industrial designer. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought, you know, maybe maybe I could like film because industrial design has it's problem solving. And directing a movie is problem solving. That's all it is. It's just something comes up, you got to solve it now. So I, I was attracted to it, but, you know, I never... Uh, but I uh, I went from being an A minus student at Syracuse University in industrial design, uh, sought after by General Motors to design new cars, the advanced oh, wow. motor. Well, yeah, like the experimental cars, the, mm-hmm. the ones that were you know two years ahead of what was going on now, like three years. And so I could have. I had a really nice living, uh, you know, had a nice house and had moved to Detroit or wherever, wherever it was that General Motors was in the 60s. But I chose instead, when I graduated Syracuse, to go to Greenwich Village with uh, my best friend in college, who was Carl Gottlieb, who wrote all the George movies. Right, yeah. So he was my best friend. So we got a, a little walk-up apartment, five Five floors, no elevator, fifty dollars a month, or something like that, maybe seventy-five. And I, he was started writing right away. He wanted to be a writer, and he was reviewing local movies, uh, uh, local uh, movies for local newspapers, you know, small little, you know, area mm-hmm. uh, newspapers. But I was just out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was always funny in high school, so I started uh, swabbing uh, duckboards in uh, bars uh, after the last call. I was locked in a bar in Greenwich, for the Barn Grill in Greenwich Village from 2 in the morning until four, until 6 in the morning, just cleaning up behind the bar, just you know, oh. the floors and stuff and the duckboards and and then the chef in the morning, at six in the morning, would come in and he would unlock the door from the outside. They locked me in, so I couldn't get out even though I wanted to. Everything was locked from the outside. So he would unlock it and then I would get out at six in the morning. And then spend the rest of the day doing nothing until I could wander into like Monday night open mics because they were free. And I would sit there all night watching these comedians and folk singers sing until I had to go to work at 2 in the morning at the bar. And I was thinking, you know, I was a funny guy in high school. I could be funnier than this guy or that lady. And uh, so I started, uh, you know, think. So basically, I started doing Monday nights and I started getting better and better. And because I would watch this, like the same people would come up on the Monday nights, every Monday night for like three or four Monday nights. And I go, this guy isn't doing anything. I mean, I'm funnier than him. <laughs> so I would get up on the stage and I was God awful because I didn't write anything. I didn't know how to write a joke. You know, I, I, 
I did, I, so I would just get up and talk about my day, like I did in high school when I was funny. But yeah. it wasn't working. And I, I, I've heard tapes. I was really bad. I was not funny at all. I was just <laughs> like to other people on Monday night. But I kept doing it. And I couldn't figure out, I mean, years later, when I became successful at it, I couldn't figure out why I kept doing it, except I remember coming off the stage and not getting any laughs and, and just thinking, you know, I can do it better next week. And that's, yeah. that's the only thing that kept me going. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't take the no laughs as anything. I didn't take it as rejection. I just thought, well, I can do it better next week. Until about six months later, I was opening for Woody Allen, you know, so I guess I was pretty good. Yeah, and then I was opening for, <laughs> Yeah, and then I was opening for Miles Davis and the Kingston Trio and then the Love and Spoonful and the Blues Project, and I was opening to arenas. I was, I was on the rock and roll circuit. I was playing arenas with all the, you know, huge bands. Uh, and um, that was kind of cool. And I was doing, like, Lenny Bruce stuff. I, I wasn't doing any drugs at the time. I, I had, that, was, that was coming in later years. But I was just, but I was talking about drugs, and I was cursing on stage, and I was talking about sex and weed and, and just in politics and, mm-hmm. you know, I was an outsider, but I couldn't take, finally one day I was opening for the Kingston Trio and out of the darkness, because in a nightclub, you can't see the people, the lights are in your eyes, so you, can, you can't see beyond the dance floor. Okay. And all of a sudden I'm talking about God, you know, doing this funny bit. I was, by then I was, I was funny. I was opening for the Kingston Trio. And I, I thought about God, and across, out of the darkness, this bohunk, this like, lumberjack, just comes walking across the dance floor with an upside-down beer bottle in his fist, and he's saying, get off the stage and bring on the Kingston Trio. Oh, no. And I'm going, what? Yeah, and he said, I said, get off the stage. And he didn't want to hear it. You know, he just didn't want to hear I said, you know, I'll tell you, he said, I don't care. Get off the So I did. I just walked off the stage. There's a blank stage. So I go over to the bar, and I'm just sitting there, and the guy went back to his seat after I got off. And the bartender comes up and says, what are you doing here, man? And I go, did you see that guy walk across the stage uh, or the dance floor? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, well I'm not going to be on stage with that. He was going to hit me. Uh, where's the bouncer? And I said, and the bartender says, I'm the bouncer. Get back on stage. You've got 10 minutes more to go. Oh, said, wow. I'm not getting on stage unless you tell that guy to, you know, sit down and shut up and, or, or throw him out. I'm not getting back on the stage. <laughs> he says, you don't get back on the stage. You're not getting paid. I said, I'm not getting up back on the stage. He says, you're not getting paid. I said, fine, bye. And I just walked out, called a taxi, and went home. You know, I got on a plane and went home. I was up in Boston, and I was working out in New York. But, I, I mean... That's the kind of, you know, so I called my manager and I said, who, who was Woody Allen's manager at the time? And I said, hey, uh, I can't do this, man. I mean, I'm not Lenny Bruce. I'm not doing the drugs. I'm just talking about what he's talking about. It's just talk. It's funny stuff. He says, well, you know, join Second City, you know, and then you can talk about the same stuff, but they own the theater and they're thrown out. So that's what I did. I auditioned, as a matter of fact, with... Um, 
Robin Williams. Uh, and oh, I remember really? specifically because he was still he was still wearing that white bib overall thing with the rainbow suspenders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think he had done uh, one or two. Uh, I think I'd seen him. I mean, all the comedians in Greenwich Village knew one another. He was working that so that that Greenwich Village scene. So uh, yeah, we both auditioned together. I got it. I think he got it too. But I got in Second City, and then they shipped me down to St. Louis. Uh, and uh, we stayed there for about, we were for three months, we were there for nine, we were just held over at Crystal Palace. And then, and then from there, we went, I was shipped up to Chicago, to the main stage of the Second City. And I was there for a while, and then about five of us decided with this director, one of the Second City directors, that we were going to go to San Francisco and start our own company called The Committee, which is what we did. And so we went there. Uh, so again, it was just, I happened to be somewhere where something was happening and there was all the good stuff. But I was I didn't plan on going to St. Louis. I didn't plan on going to Chicago. I didn't plan on getting into uh, Second City. I mean, uh, it was a suggestion by my manager, but I didn't know Second City from all in all. Okay, I'll do that then. So then I got to up there, and then it was a plane ride. It was cost $30 round trip to fly from Hollywood to San Francisco. And we were a big hit in San Francisco. So uh, all the heavy hitters and the, and the major players from Hollywood would fly up 30 bucks there and back to see this great, funny show that was up in San Francisco. So again, I didn't even try to audition for Hollywood. They were coming up to see our show. And I was in a hit show, so I got hired to act down in L.A. We were flying back and forth until my entire company, and then we were uh, replaced by the second company. But my entire company went uh, individually, you know, like one at a time, this week, the next week, and somebody else. They moved down there to just be actors in Hollywood. And I stayed up there. I just loved improvising until the, the committee closed, which I think was in two years from, from then. So I stayed up there for two years. I was living in my car. The, the, the committee, after the first or second company, I think the third company, it wasn't the same. I mean, you know, we we were handpicked by the director, and we all had been in Second City or were working comedians when he picked us to go to San Francisco. I see. And there we were just picking people who were, you know, third stringers just from the comedy uh, pool in San Francisco, which wasn't that great. It was a hippie. It was the 60s. It was not, you know, it was, um, there weren't many comedians, but there was a lot of political things. Up there. Oh, I got you. And finally, I, after living in my car for a while, I just said, okay, I'm going down there. And then I was invited down there by Carl Gottlieb, who, was now, who had just written Jaws, and I could sleep on his couch. And by then, he had a mansion. So oh. I just slept <laughs> on his couch. Yeah, I slept on his couch. I couch surfed, and I slept on his couch until his uh, wife, Allison, God mm -hmm. bless her, she kicked me out. She said, somebody else has got the couch for the next two weeks. You, know? <laughs> you got to get out of here. Wow. So I said, okay, fine. And uh, she forced me to, uh, well, 
I guess I went to somebody else's couch, and then she got a call. Again, I didn't do anything. She got a call and called me. She said, Laverne and Shirley's show called and wanted to get in touch with you, so call them. So I called the Laverne and Shirley production office, and they were looking for me. They wanted me. uh, Turns out Laverne, Penny Marshall, had seen me in a show up in San Francisco about six months before then. And there was a great part for me that she said, yeah, he would be good in this. Because I was a physical comedian, too. And it was a dance scene. So I played a guy who was dating her and also trying to come on to her. And uh, it was very, she's very funny. She's, so we were rehearsing this dance thing. So, so I got a job on Laverne show. I didn't ask for it. Um, I don't even think I had an audition. I just went down there, over there, and said, yeah, they're looking for, yeah, you know, here's your side. Do you want to do this? Yeah, wow. sure. Right place, so, right time. Because, yeah, so Laverne uh, Penny Marshall said, when he comes in, you know, hire him. I want to I wanna work with him. So we did that. And he's the really ridiculous part. But this happens in Hollywood all the time. I'm rehearsing on on a on the stage, the Laverne and Shirley set, their, their living room set. But nobody was around, you know. It was like in the afternoon, or we were going to shoot the next day. So, I don't know, the day before we were going to shoot. So we're going over the thing, and she's very funny. She's a good physical comedian. So she's saying, you know, how about if we do a dip? Because I was going to take it to a dance. That was the, the plot of the, uh, the scene. So uh, she said, well, what do we do the dip, and you can't hold me, and you drop me? Oh, and I said, geez. yeah, that's pretty funny. But but she, she's good because she knows how to fall. I mean, she's got clown training. Even if she didn't oh, okay. train as a clown, she understands those falls. She can do them well when she was younger. She could do them. Uh, you know. So I said, okay, but you might hit your head. So I said, how about if I dip you near the couch? So when you fall, you, you fall on the couch. And she said, okay, yeah, that, that would be cool. And then she said, so we did that a couple of times. And then she said, well, how about if you drop me and then you trip and fall on me? So I said, yeah, that's kind of cool. So we did that. And then, uh, so I, and then I fell on her. And then I hear this voice saying, hey, what are you guys doing? And I look over, and it's Gary Marshall, her brother, who's directing the show and owns the show. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, so I said, oh, you know, just rehearsing. He said, no, 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 not the weird. What is this touchy feeling you're falling on it? What's, what's this stuff on the couch? <laughs> and she said, yeah, 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 exactly. And she said, no, we're rehearsing a scene for the show. And he says, well, none of this, you know, falling on falling on her. And uh, yeah, there's no touchy-feely stuff. And I'm going, but this is, we're rehearsing. Well, don't rehearse that. And it was like getting angry. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I looked at her. And she just like, you know, kind of smiled and shrugged. You know, oh, it's my brother's protecting me. <laughs> you know, like what the fuck, you know. So, uh, so we said, okay, man. You know, we won't do that. So he said, fine, no touchy feeling. Then he walked away. And I'll never forget touchy feeling. No touchy feeling. No touchy so, feeling. No touchy feeling. So, so we changed it. You know, so there was no touchy feeling. But it was ridiculous. I mean, but stuff like that happens all, all the time. You know, in every show, there's something like. Are you kidding me? Or, or that's really great. It even happens the other way, where this is a, a happenstance that happens, where it changes everything, and it's great. 
you know. That's but cool. yeah, that's that's kind of. But that's how I got into show business. I, in other words, you see, I didn't ask for anything. I just happened to be somewhere where they the director said in Second City, "Hey, come on, you, let's go. We're going to San Francisco." Yeah. And then you know, Laverne said, "Hey, here, here, come on and be in my show," and that get that gave me a uh, because because to sign the contract to be on the Laverne and Shirley show, I didn't have an agent, but I had to get one. Well, if you go to any agency, I got a job. I just need somebody to do the contract. They're going to hire you. They're going to they're going to be your agent. Oh, okay. There's no argue. It's, you got a job. You want me to get ten percent of it? Fine. <laughs> you're, my, you're my client. I mean, that's yeah. what happened. So even then, so when I got an agent, then I just started. He just started sending me out to other roles because, hey, Kenny Marshall can't be wrong. You know, right. so and I started getting jobs. So I didn't try to get anywhere that I was that furthered my career. I only tried to be in things that were turned out didn't work out. I see. So it was all luck, so the whole thing. I mean, all the all the way. You know, my 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 manager, Woody's manager, said, "Go to Second City." I didn't think of Second City. Yeah, being that you can do the same stuff, but you've got other five people to protect you. <laughs> there you go. So I, so I did. Yeah, and, and also he said, which which was kind of cool, uh, he said, and by the way, you know, in nightclubs, because he was referenced, I was referencing the, uh, it was called the Jacks on the Highway, I think, the nightclub where the guy came out with the bottle. Yeah. He was referencing that when he said, you know, when you're in a nightclub, the nightclub stage is only about four inches above the dance floor because that's just where the band is. You know, I mean, but you, you you realize that, right? That the dance, the the stage is not high; it's just a little bump up. But in the but in Second City, he said the the stage is like uh, I think about four or five four, four feet at least minimum above the floor of the audience. So you got that protection. Not only got five people, but they can't jump on the stage. It's too hard. Yeah. So he was saying you're protected more at Second City because of the height of the stage. No, <laughs> so that I mean, makes that sense. Yeah. I had to, yeah, that makes sense. So that was my excuse for auditioning. Not like I want a job or it's really <laughs> great to be in the stage. No, that's uh, they got a higher stage. I can say the same thing. That's so, awesome. You know, that, that's kind of how I, I made it in show business. That's amazing. Well, um, yeah. we're going to bring things to a close here. I just wanted to, um, you know, say first, first of all, say thank you so much for being on the show. And I want to give you the opportunity. You can um, tell people where to go and see some things you're working on now. Maybe uh, oh, tell cool. them about your book again, just to remind them here at the end. Uh, just, oh, okay. you know, get, get it all out there and, and we'll wrap things up. Okay, so well, the first thing is I got my my own book, uh, which is called The Loopholes Dossier, and it's right now in pre-sale. Oh, and if you order it now, it does me a favor because Amazon bases their advertising of books they are selling by how many people order it in pre-sale. pre-sale. Okay. So if I have a lot of pre-sale, they'll even push the book more so that's really great so so that's one thing the book and it's really funny it's uh, a little political satire it's fable satire 
and it's oral history satire of a homeless guy I, I, I met along the way. It's very funny. Okay, so that's one. Two is El Camino's coming out. Uh, right. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch SNL? I didn't. I don't know if I asked you that. Did you watch SNL last night? I did not. Okay, I don't. I don't watch it, but somebody gave me a um, what do you call it? a link. It was on. They did a commercial for El Camino, which is Vince Gilligan's new show. Uh, That's new awesome. Movie. Uh, it's a movie on Netflix, and the commercial was was my scene. Oh One wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that blew me away. I, I looked at it, and it's a, a scene from the movie. So El Camino is coming out on the 11th. So go see that. I I don't know what it's about because all I got it was it was secret. I had oh. signed an NDA, not non disclosure agreement. Yeah. So I only got my scenes. I didn't get a script. I only got the pages of my scene. And oh wow, that's did. cool. So nobody that's... knew. Little mystery. Well, it's cool and mysterious. It's it's odd because you get on the set and nobody can talk about the narrative. You know? Cool. But not 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 the costume people. Not the. So yeah, it's, it's cool but weird, but fun. I mean, it was it was great doing it. It's my part is great. The movie. I mean, the other people. I was watching. I never went into my dressing room. I just watched what was going on. So those are the two two things. And then if you really want to see my stuff, all my stuff, that's on Vimeo. Just go to Vimeo, Larry Hankin, and uh, bada bing, bada boom. There you go. Awesome. And taste it. <laughs> so that's it. Well, once again, I would like to thank you very much uh, for being on the show. And once we transition oh, to video, I would love to have you on again. Sure. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has uh, been Larry Hankin, and this show has been Breaking the Fourth Wall. Thank you very much for coming, and we will see you later. Cool. That's it for today's show, ladies, gentlemen, and anything around or in between. Another great interview. Remember, I'm Ray, and this has been Breaking the Fourth Wall. Check me out at Chronicles of the Lost Realm on YouTube, Anchor, and Instagram. I can also be found on War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Become a patron to help us provide even more content and quality entertainment for you. All of our shows can be found on Anchor.fm or wherever podcasts can be heard. Breaking the Fourth Wall is a Realm of the Mist affiliate.